Welcome back to Lessons in Product Management. I'm John Fontenot, and on today's episode, we have the pleasure of learning from Lance Douglas, Product Manager at Vitruvi. Three years ago, I wrote a book called Great Leaders Always Follow, and one of the points I argue in the book is that great leaders always follow through, and that's the focal point of this conversation. Lance breaks down what following through on success metrics actually looks like, why it's important, and some of the nuances of success metrics. Not to give too much away, but Lance even goes into the topic of when overachieving on your metrics can be a bad thing. I keep going, but I'll let you hear directly from Lance. This is Lessons in Product Management. Let's get started. Hey, Lance, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John. Stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Stoked that you're here. So to kick things off, could you give the listeners a, an intro of yourself, your background, and, and what you're up to today? Yeah, sure. So I'm a, a product manager at a company called Vitruvi. That's what I do most of my time during the day, um, really in the B2B SaaS space, tackling tr- digital transformation and construction. Really fun challenge. Um, I also do some you know, fractional work as a, a CTO and a CPO at, at uh, startups, um, helping to you know, keep myself fresh and, and up to date on you know, technical aspects, but I'm definitely not an engineer, uh, that's for sure. Um, but uh, other than that, really my, my real passion and kind of where all the work that I work on uh, regardless how I, how I do that is really about trying to figure out the best way to uh, merge product uh, mindset and get things done and helping engineering uh, firms, software type companies really get their processes in place to be able to deliver immense value for customers. Very cool. And so I, I know today we want to dive into the topic of, of measuring success and, and following through on measuring success. But before we before we jump into the follow through part, um, there are probably companies out there and probably product managers listening at companies that, that are sitting there thinking like, like we don't even measure success. We just build stuff. And like, we're, we're in this build trap. And like I've read Melissa Perry's book, we're in a build trap. Like we don't do it. So what advice would you give to the product leader who's listening, who's kind of in that position to make change um, around like the value of measuring success? Yeah. And I think, you know, probably we could look at, if you're not doing, if you're not following through on your your success metrics, um, you could go out and build things, but you you lose sight. You really you never had it in the first place, but you really lose sight of what the customers have purchased your software or your product for, um, and you, it's really difficult to to keep a pulse on that. And so, if you're not following through, and so in other words, you hear a problem, your customer says they want something, you go and you build it. Um, and I'm assuming that, for example, a SaaS product, right? So that um, you have multiple customers and people seem to be buying, some appear, appear to adopt, and you know, there's even some referrals and that kind of stuff. Um, but if you're not following through to make sure that you're hitting the value that they believe that they purchased you for, it may just simply be that you were the best that um, they could find and that your sales pitch was good and that you were able to get close enough, but really they're just waiting to find something better. And then you have an exodus when a competitor realizes what that real value is and they're following up with those customers. They, they don't owe you anything. They'll just walk away and, and uh, move over to other competitors. So I think that's the biggest risk is you might feel like you have a product and you might feel like you have product market fit. But if you don't know your customer because you're not following up and, and keeping your pulse on that, you don't have a mode around your business and people will just walk away from you. That's so interesting because I know I've seen companies in the past that you know, they'll look at competitors for what to build and they'll just ignore customers altogether. But I think what, what you said is the real insights come from the customers, not from what your competitors are doing. And when you have a, com- a competitor in a competitive market that actually takes the time to do that qualitative research, 
um, they have the best chance at, at differentiating themselves. But then taking that qualitative insight and, and validating whether or not it's successful is, is that next step that you have to take. Yeah. And, you know, you touched on a really good point there about um, stealing from customer or from competitors. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that say, don't worry about sharing your idea, share it with everybody because no one's going to be able to steal it. I can believe that 80% of the time um, you might get some really wicked smart people that take your wicked smart, smart idea and beat you to market. Um, they're going to beat you anyways. But really what that means, I think if you really dig into that is that it's a lot more than just following through with the features, right? You, anybody can go copy Tesla right now today, all of their patents, everything are up online. It's not about that. It's actually about knowing the customer and it's knowing how all of those features drive value for the customer and the moat that you've dug around yourself and the customer that nobody can easily penetrate. And so somebody might look over the fence and go, oh, that's easy. We can do all those things too. But if you don't really understand why your customer's buying that or what leverage you're pulling in their universe to, to drive um, change for them and behavior, then it doesn't matter, right? I got a blue shirt, you got a blue shirt, but we actually know that your blue shirt is soft inside and mine's hard, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, so when we, when we talk about follow through, right? So like what we, we establish a success metric and then we launch something and there's like supposed to be this measurement. So could, could you could you explain to us like what, what good follow through looks like at a company that's that's measuring and, and holding themselves accountable well? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's very easy uh, to identify an organization that is a feature factory, right? That uh, I was looking at a, a process uh, for figuring that out just recently by setting up a two by two is, you know, asking your, your organization or asking the organization how they, um, how their, how their product goals are, are, are managed. Are they good product goals um, or are they non-existent product goals and asking an engineering team that might quite often say, I didn't know we had product goals, right? Or they might be aligned, but I don't really, I'm not really sure. And if the engineering team doesn't understand what the product goals are or how well they're formed, that's a concern. But the other half of that is to find out how well they follow up, right? Do we, are we always following up? Do we sometimes follow up. I didn't know we actually had custom metrics to follow up on to find out. What that means is that they're celebrating the, the release, right? So you gave me requirements from a product perspective and I went and built it and it's built to your product. Uh, respects, right? That's, hey, that's great. You delivered what somebody asked for. But that's not, I think, a valuable uh, engineering environment. Really what your um, success criteria for, for um, features or any type of releases, the acceptance criteria should be the change. What's the behavioral change, right? And so your engineering team and your product team and the, all the other uh, organizational um, divisions that you're enabling, such as sales or partners or what are the sales channels you have, um, every single one of them should know what that change is doing. And whether that's one sentence or it has to be 50 pages because it's that complex of a, a situation, doesn't really matter. It's the point that when somebody says, okay, this is what we're releasing this quarter or this month or whatever the cycle is, um, this is what we're waiting to find out happens. And so when you release the software, that's not the end of the process, that's the beginning, right? So once the, once the software has been released into the public, then the team starts looking at, cool, when do we get to see the metrics move? When do we actually get to follow up and find out whether we were successful? And what's the standard deviation of when, when we are successful versus failing? And how do we deal with that, right? Because 
um, I'll, I know it's kind of long-winded answer, but I'll give one piece to that is in following up isn't simply saying, oh yeah, we, we got metrics. We expected to do to see customers uh, find this value or we expected uh, less uh, fall off from this process. You know, people move from activation to, to referral uh, or revenue or whatever the case may be. Um, 15% more, that was our, our target. What happens if it's 25%? What happens, happens if you increase by a factor of 10, right? I think that's actually a failure, right? And so we have to look at, you know, if, if I'm following up honestly, where am I ended up, Where what's the target we're going for? And if I overshoot that, what didn't I know, right? And so that's the kind of thing that I, I'm trying to help organizations understand is get everybody excited about celebrating, hitting that target, and also excited about what they can learn when they miss it. Yeah, I think there's so much to unpack there. Um, the, the first part is just that that um, that whole mantra of like outcomes over output, right? Like the engineering team could celebrate the, this release, but um, if the release doesn't accomplish anything, if it doesn't drive at the outcomes that you're that you're driving towards, like it's 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 really a failure, like you were saying. And and I think there's there's beauty in like sharing how what you're doing maps to the broader organizational goals or to the mission or to the strategy. And, and I think that empowers the, the overall product team, product UX and dev to create better solutions and to challenge one another on what the solution should be instead of just being order takers. Like we know as PMs that we shouldn't be order takers, but the, the devs shouldn't be either because they, they're closest to the technology, the things that are emerging, and, and they, they could come to the table with some really good solutions that we may not know is possible because like you said earlier, we're not devs. So. And, and I think that, the, the, I think that last point was, was really interesting about like overshooting. Cause I, cause I can see people who are, who are sitting there thinking Lance, like who cares if, if I said we were going to hit 15% increase and it was a 25% increase or a 10X increase, like, doesn't that mean that we just did really well? And, and you're, and you're framing it as like, that's a failure. So I, I want, I want you to give an example of like, what are the ripple effects? Not, not just like we, we failed in a hypothesis or we didn't know this well enough, but do you have some examples of like, what are some tangible like negatives that could come out of um, something that you expected a 10% increase, but got a 10 X increase on? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll use Disney, Disney plus as an example. And uh, I don't know what their metrics were. I assume that, that they overshot. And so just using as, as that example. So they went to launch and said they were expecting 20 million in the first year and they got 80 million and everyone can go, Oh, wow. Uh, you know, Mando Mandalorian did fantastic baby Yoda really pushed up those metrics way further than we expected. Um, I could see that if it was a, a startup, right. And they weren't customer centric and they hadn't spent, you know, 60 years understanding innately their, their business. Um, if they overshot by that much, the challenge is, is that they might not understand what drew their customers in, where those customers were leaving, what wallet was switched, right? All those things that we know that go into the decision for the product actually didn't manifest in the way that they expected to. And by overshooting, they actually might not understand where those customers will go, right? So take Disney Plus. I don't know how many of those 90 million or 80 million stuck around. Right now, they've got a, a bar to hit that they, they need to maintain, uh, and they might not have the resources or the time. Right, so they're a uh, you know very high production, very high cost, a long time frames to get new shows out. 
they may have thought, right? Their strategy may be, hey, we're at 20 million people. We've got enough content that would support this type of people. We've got these systems in place that's going to help us for recommendations. And we're going to use that as a way to figure out where we want to be for the next year. But now we got 80 million people and we can't actually keep them satisfied because we actually don't know where they actually fit. And we've basically um, stood up a bunch of customers that go, wow, this is great. What's out there that actually fills where I need. So it's basically, uh, you know, marketing 101, don't say something unless you can, uh, everything that you say is going to be uh, challenged. But the other half of that is always have a catch mitt for everything you say, right? For anybody that, that, that come, that's coming along, if you don't have a bigger, big enough catcher's mitt, you could easily go into business because you have too many customers. You can't sustain from the resources and you can't respond to the market need. And your your nearest competitor goes, I have you covered. Yeah. No, I think there's there's examples of that, right? Where where people like were doomed by their own success, not not expecting it and not being able to handle it, right? I, I think like right. a, rec- a recent example with the pandemic was all, all these video conference systems that struggled to keep up with the demand whenever everyone started working from home. And I think about the, the Disney, the Disney plus scenario that you said, right? Like if, if you're, if you like, depending on how you budget things, right? Like if, if, um, if you don't have budget to handle the, the technical overhead that comes with a 4X increase going from 20 million to 80 million in, in subscribers and, and, you know, viewers of like, how do you handle that from a technology standpoint? And like, if your accounting isn't there, like, can you catch up in time to, to get the, the budget you need from a technical standpoint. So, yeah, I, th- I think there, there are definitely like tangible um, risk to over success and not, um, not forecasting, I guess, uh, w- within that standard deviation, that's, that's acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think to, to clarify though, too, um, overperforming is okay. Right. Um, so is underperforming as long as you're actually, monitoring for it. So if you know where overperformance is and you're being honest and you pull in 80 million and somebody pulls up, you know, the head of product from, from Disney Plus and the executive office goes, how the heck did we reach 80 million? You know, we, we, we topped out at maybe 45 and we were ready for scale. So none of our systems went down, but what in the heck did we miss? And I think that's, that's the really, that's the real crux because nobody's perfect, right? No one's ever going to get this stuff right. Um, but if you're, if you've got the right systems in place and that's where this follow through comes in, right? What is it that you're actually expecting? And when something doesn't happen, how are you measuring that? So, you know, to predict better in future, because every single time you overperform or underperform or even hit on target, you have something your competitors don't, right? That inside knowledge of unknown unknowns now become your remote data. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Like the, the worst position for a product manager to be in or a product leader is for an executive to come to you and say, why did this happen? And you don't even have a clue. Like you don't have a hypothesis. Um, and there's nothing you could point to around like, well, here's the rigor of, of what we did, right? <laughs> yeah, not not a not a fun position. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So um, in terms of like follow through, right? Uh, I know a, a lot of this feels like it boils down to accountability. Do, do you do you think that that has anything to do with why companies fail to follow through? Is is it um, is it one of those things where it's just a lack of accountability or, or like not <clears throat> wanting to um, hold people accountable? Or do you have another like hypothesis around why companies don't follow through on success metrics? Well, I think there's, there's a lot of um, cultural 
challenges, uh, you know, with, with product management versus engineering versus, you know, some organizations hitting even the word process and um, a lot of people claiming they're agile and, and just using that as a way to not do uh, documentation or um, all the other types of um, things that are on the right side of that list, right? And I think I have the manifest to the right side. The I think the the, the biggest challenge is, is that people that don't necessarily uh, know that they should be following up with things and they don't have any reason to. And and the reason goes to I think that's probably you know um, OKRs or smart goals or other type of drivers that the executives are mandating people to follow up on because even you and I, we could be um, absolute leaders in follow through, but if we're not incentivized to, right? If we don't have metrics that we have to answer to that, that talk about that and nobody's gonna come down to our office and say, how the heck did you hit 80 million when you were expecting 20 million? And you just shrug and say, isn't that awesome? And they shrug and say, yeah, great. Then you're not gonna do follow through either, right? So it has to really start from that. This is why we're in business. This is where we want to be in business and this is how we're going to measure where we're getting there and nobody actually knows the market well enough to be perfect so if we are not following through and paying attention somebody's going to be paying attention more than we are and we're going to lose our customer base we're going to lose our market so i think it really comes down to the culture that's been developed at the organization um, that allows people to celebrate failure and you know you can want to say it that way but celebrate knowing what they did and whether it hit the mark or not yeah celebrating learning for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way of saying it. Yeah. Yep. Cool. No, and I've definitely seen both sides of the spectrum where there was no measurement. It was just like the expectation from executives where if we, if we build it, they will come. So keep building and they'll, they'll keep coming. Um, and that that's, you know, a pretty big fallacy. <laughs> um, and, and I've seen the other side of it where it, it is very uh, measurement oriented, but the, the culture of like understanding that, Hey, we know this isn't going to be perfect. And, and I think there's data out there saying like, I don't know, 60 something percent of features never get used. So like, we know that this, this discipline of product management isn't perfect and it's going to take a level of experimentation and iteration to get things right. Um, but you'll never get it right. If you don't measure, if you don't have a baseline of success and then measure against it. Yeah. And I think that's, I think you're, you're hitting the nail right on uh, the, yeah, the nail right on the head. I wasn't sure if I was saying that correctly. Um, I think the, one of the biggest challenges is, a lot of people think that it takes time, too much time, and it gets in the way of uh, activity, right? Like, so lines of code or however else somebody's being measured in, in their output. Uh, and when in, when in truth, a hypothesis could take 15 minutes to come up with if that's all you got, right? We actually think that customers need us to have this feature in there. Um, this is what we're basing it on. We don't have anything better than gut feel and intuition from what we have. This is where we think we're going to hit. And if we do, this is what we're expecting. If we don't, this is what we're expecting. This is how we're going to measure it. Good. Go build it, right? It doesn't have to be this really long, drawn-out process, but it might be if you're in a big organization or a medium-sized organization and you're trying to introduce this, it might actually take a year to get the right culture in place to drive that. But you have to drive out this whole concept of activity as a proxy for productivity, right? Because that's really what's happening here is that people just feel like they're doing something, so they must be of value. When in really, in, in actuality, you're just burning somebody's cash, which is not fair. Customers, investors are your own. Yeah, absolutely. And so I can imagine there's there's product managers or, or product leaders listening right now who are wondering, okay, uh, I, I get it. I heard you, Lance. I see the value in, in 
measuring success before we actually start something, but like, what do I measure? What, what, what's your rules of thumb or your, your heuristics for, um, developing success metrics? Like, do, do you have a framework or kind of a rule of thumb that, that you would share? So I do. And the, the famous, uh, product, product manager manager answer is it depends, right? Um, it all, it always comes down to, uh, what works for your organization, what works for your culture, um, and, and what's being driven. So I, I do have a, a framework that I have. I have a rubric that I use that, uh, that tells me if I'm underperforming, overperforming, predicting, uh, you know, and then there's extremes as well, uh, for both of those. What are the metrics that I'm, I'm actually, um, capturing how are those being, uh, calculated into value, you know, what are the alarms that go off? What are the actions that are, uh, can happen if something does it or does not hit? So all of those things. And for me, that works right for, I know I've worked at different organizations where they wanted something a little bit more complex. I've worked at ones that wanted less. Um, I love working with the jobs to be done type of framework and really sitting in, it's just easy to communicate that with, with people. And so if it, if it works well in your organization, communicate, I like using, um, the cattle model as well, you know, what, how do customers perceive uh, the things that you're delivering? Are you, are you on target? Are you over delivering? Are you under delivering? Um, the, I call it, you know, using the Johari model, but that's the known knowns, known unknowns, unknown unknowns, that kind of thing. Uh, and I think that's really a real powerful tool. Uh, you got to figure out the tools that really work for you to just the way that your mind works, right. And, and break that apart and that your organization can communicate. And so I can go through 15 different tools that I might use depending on who I'm having that conversation with. And even most recently, I've really started to use um, the blue ocean strategy map. Uh, this is something I've done in the last two weeks since uh, we last chatted is the idea of finding your white space. And really I was trying to think of a way to communicate to the, the org, here's the jobs to be done. Okay, we all get that. Here's the cannon model. This is what customers love. This is what they don't love. This is the, the competitor landscape, how that fits against those. Okay, I get that, right? I use a TAUS, which is the opposite of SWAT, right? Once you know your SWAT, okay, well, what are we going to do to attack, right? Oh, that makes sense. How does this fit in for the for the for the large full picture? And I found that the um, the blue blue ocean strategy map works works fantastic for that, and really lets people see, oh, this is how this is how the market looks for what we deliver as a product, and here's the strategy we're attacking. So it really allows people to see the hypothesis. I think. In, in real, but really it all comes down to, you know, uh, what works for the way that you can communicate with the teams that also works for how you compartmentalize data in your mind uh, and for what your teams will accept and respond to. So yeah, that's, no, I, I mean, that's, a, that's the secret of product management right there. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's part art, part science, and uh, a lot, a lot more art in a lot of ways, but that's, that's probably a controversial topic too <laughs> around oh, art, art versus science. <laughs> But no, I agree. And I think going back to your point earlier around like how things are supposed to connect up through the organization from, from goal, from you know, strategy to goals, to mission. And, and like, I guess the, the way I look at it is like, there's no hard and fast success metric. It's just like, what is the thing that you need to measure to show that you're, you're getting closer to the goal that you've set that aligns back up the, the organizational chain. So yeah, cool. Well, Lance, I appreciate you coming on, man. This has been a fantastic conversation and uh, I know the listeners have gleaned a lot from it and, and I, I always enjoy chatting with you and I, I glean a lot from every time we talk. So thanks for taking the time out this evening and uh, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Anytime. 
before you go, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, whether you're listening on your favorite podcast app or on the YouTube channel. And if you haven't subscribed yet on YouTube, you'll want to head over to the Path to Product YouTube channel to find exclusive content that you won't get on the podcast. And if you're an avid listener and want to help support the podcast, you can help by writing a review, sharing these episodes with other PMs, or if you want to help financially, you can do that by donating. The links to the YouTube channel, the podcast, and the donation link are all in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today, and I'll see you next time on Lessons in Product Management.